Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of Who Says No. I am one of your hosts, Sam Quinn. And Colin, I am going to need a drum roll, please, because we have some breaking podcast news. I wonder how that's going to sound. Did that on your own? I couldn't have done that. Anyway, our breaking podcast news, if you couldn't tell from listening to the podcast, is that I have finally purchased a microphone. Don't I sound great, Colin? It's so crisp. I actually had, I, I, I looked over my left shoulder to see if you were standing next to me because I was like, I, I, is he in the room with me? What is going on? This is so clean and crisp. Well, here's how much I appreciate you as a co-host. This is actually the second podcast that I've recorded today. I don't know what order we're going to release them in. I don't know if we're going to go, you know, one clean one with the mic, one ugly one without. But I actually recorded another podcast this morning with a guest that you'll hear soon enough. But I didn't use the mic. I wanted to save the first mic episode for you. So I think this is a big moment in podcast history. Not podcast history, but our podcast history. I mean, and, don't don't sell yourself short. Podcast history. This could be, remember, hey, where were you when Sam Quinn recorded his first podcast with an actual microphone, not his telephone headset? What is your mic situation? Like, what's your brand? Oh, man, I can't even. It's This is all team issued from CBS. So Wait, they've said, given yeah. you a mic and they haven't given me one? Well, it's not for podcasts. It was for my HQ uh, on-air appearances. So they, they sent mine my way. So I it's a, it's one of those, like, you know, in the reality show when they're doing their confessional and they get, like, pissed off and they get up and leave, but they have to take their mic off. Like, that's what it is. It's, like, got the cord. Oh, and so the, you're wearing it. Yeah, I wear it. It's, like, a wearable. I don't think I would like that, but I still want them to give it to me. So you're just giving me more material for my upcoming holdout. So yeah, they'll, you know, they'll just, send you stuff, man. You yeah. just, a lot of times, it's just like anything in life, man. You'd be surprised what you can get just by asking. Well, if they don't, don't expect me at training camp next year. Are we but talking anyway. about basketball or what is this? Okay, let's, let's talk about basketball. And speaking of training camps that people won't be at, Danny Ainge is no longer employed by the Boston Celtics. He has been replaced as president of basketball operations by the very coach he hired, Brad Stevens. Before we actually talk about the move, Colin and I are both on the West Coast. So what I'm always curious about when news breaks early in the morning, Colin, where were you when you heard this news? What was your experience with it like? Well, I I rolled over in bed and checked my phone, which I normally do when I wake up, which is around, I'm going to say 10 generously, but uh, there's a lot of snoozing going on. So maybe like 1030. And uh, I generally scroll through all my stuff. So um, this time around, I did see a missed call from one of our HQ producers from 741 in the morning when I was not awake. That's red flag number one. Generally, that means something has gone down, uh, some sort of breaking news. I continue to scroll and it's weird. I don't know if you see the same thing, but with my Twitter alerts, I get the most recent one first uh, as I'm scrolling through. So I'm seeing, you know, oh, the plan is for blah, blah, blah. And this, and I don't know what the actual news is because they're just quote tweeting themselves. So I have to keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling until I finally get to the part that says, well, first I got the Ainge news because I think that came out later. And then I got the Brad Stevens news uh, after that. So then I was very confused because... Uh, I don't know. We could talk about it later, but if there were any people I thought were were good in their jobs, pretty secure, it was those two. Yeah. So I woke up at around noon, as I tend to do. I work night shifts, so I'm not a degenerate. Yeah, so well, don't don't sell yourself short. So yeah. you, you stay up until five, six o'clock in the morning on most nights, especially during the so playoffs. I have a group text that talks predominantly about basketball, but for whatever reason, only one person was texting this morning. 
So when I wake up, I see that text and it says, wow, can you buy, can you guys believe the Boston news? And I'm like, wait, Boston, like what, what could have happened? So I go to ESPN.com and the cover is a picture of coach K because he's stepping down. And I'm thinking, Oh my God, did Brad Stevens just take the Duke job? So it takes, me like, it takes me like five minutes to like dig through all of this and figure out what happened. West Coast morning news is one of the hardest things about our job. Like, where were you when Kevin Durant broke? Because it was kind of the same thing, right? When he went to the Warriors, I mean. Oh, man. I was, I was in Florida when that happened. So I, I, was, uh, I was living it, just like everybody else. I woke up with a text from a friend saying, over under five and a half championships for Golden State. <laughs> I didn't need to know anything else at that point. But when yeah, I saw that text, yeah. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> well, the joke's on them. They only got to two with him. So yeah. this is a separate conversation. I would argue that the Durant Warriors are not a dynasty because you have to count the Durant years separate from the non-Durant years. And they only won two with Durant. But maybe that's just because I'm a very bitter person. Anyway, we got to talk about the Celtics. Yeah. The news that's- here is... Danny Ainge is out. Brad Stevens is replacing him as president of basketball operations. And Brad Stevens will hire his own coach. We've heard a number of names thus far. Jason Kidd, Ime Udoka, um, Jay Laranego, who's been his assistant since he took the Boston job as a candidate. But I want to reflect a little bit on Danny Ainge's tenure in general. He was the GM for almost 20 years. He won a championship. Yet I think if you ask, maybe not the casual fan, but let's say the casual user of NBA Twitter, what they remember Danny Ainge for. It's probably all of the trades that he didn't make, right? Well, that's, I guess we can get into the discussion, but I was curious about that myself. Like, I know that's been what we've talked about recently. So, you know, Anthony Davis or James Harden most recently. Um, But do you think in the end, because they did win the title, you know, him assembling that big three, Ray Allen, Kevin Garnett, and Paul Pierce, is ultimately what he'll be remembered for as a Celtic and will kind of push this these other kind of rumors and conjecture by the wayside. But I don't know. What do you think? Oh, yeah. I would still say, like, I think there's a compelling argument that he's one of the five best GMs in NBA history, right? Like, Jerry West is number one. I think we would agree with that pretty comfortably. Pat Riley is number two. Or Pat Riley, I guess if you want to count Red Auerbach, Red Auerbach would be up there, too. Um, are you, counting that, Gar- like, are you counting Garpax as one person or two separate ones? They... I count Garpax as more of an idea than a person. Like, <laughs> I think, like, the GM of the Bulls was the Garpax we met along the way. Like, I guess it's one of those situations. So, Jerry, um, what's his, I, I'm forgetting the name, um, the Bulls GM that Michael Jordan hated. The oh, name Krause. Is escaping me. Jerry Krause, yeah. Jerry Krause would be up there, like, maybe Jack McCloskey with the Pistons, like, I don't know. Like, I think if you're going to the first first and foremost, you have to say he did win them a championship. And there are a lot of great GMs never did that. So first and foremost, Boston should acknowledge that. And I think whether it's retiring his number or like putting his name up in the banner, Team Hall of Fame, whatever it is, whatever the honor you can give Danny Ainge is, you got to give it to him. Not only that, it's not like he won a championship and then Joe Dumars the whole situation. Right. It's not like they were in the tank. He kept them competitive for like 15 straight years. Like they made the Kevin Garnett trade in 2007. It's 2021 right now. They were in the lottery, what, once in that entire span? They have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Like even if it was only a couple of moves, even if it was only the Ray Allen trade, the Kevin Garnett trade, and then the Brooklyn heist, off of those three moves alone, if he's not a Hall of Fame GM, he's pretty close, right? 
Yeah, I, th- I agree. And I think when when you look back at Ainge, obviously you think about the big three and all that. But I think the the two things that stand out to me are, are one, the, the sustained success. So he proved that you don't necessarily need to tank. This is obviously going on at the same time as the, the process Sixers. They both kind of ended up in similar spots, but by very different routes. But the Celtics proved that you can stay competitive while rebuilding. And obviously, number two is the Nets heist that you mentioned that uh, getting these future picks uh, that from a team that's supposed to be good could end up being very, very valuable down the road. And I think that's a lesson uh, a lot of GMs are trying to emulate. You know, Sam Presti, obviously, getting the Clippers picks and the Rockets picks and things like that, um, taking picks that might not have had higher value before this. And now after people seeing what those Nets pits turned into, um, GMs are much more, more aggressive trying to get those types of things. Well, I want to dispute this idea that Boston didn't tank a little bit. They didn't tank. They just got Brooklyn to tank for them. Like their two best players, the core of their franchise, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, were top three picks from another team that they just happened to, like we said, like that was just one heist of a trade where they got their whole entire foundation from that one move. I just don't want to give them credit. It's like, wow, they were staying competitive and they still rebuilt. Well, no, they made one great trade. Now, one great trade means a lot. I do think what we do need to talk about with Danny Ainge in general, the guy was a pioneer, right? Like, you talked about it with the Nets trade. I would also go back a little bit further. Was anybody hoarding assets for disgruntled stars before Danny Ainge? I don't think so, right? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, that that's definitely seems like something that's developed. Um, it used to be just about, like, Picking the right draft picks and then like being able to sign the big free agent seems like those. There was there was a time in NBA history where it was really like you made one move a year. It was like we have our team and now we're going to add our one rookie with the twenty first pick. It was something like that, right? Or like if you made a trade, it was oh okay, we're trying to win now, so we're going to trade our twenty four year old for a twenty eight year old. Right. Or the uh, the the yeah. trade deadline uh, mercenary rental where they they yeah. go out and get somebody for the stretch run. Yeah, exactly. Like teams didn't think about roster building in the holistic way that they do now. And I think Danny Ainge is one of the GMs who's responsible for that. And I wrote about this today. Like, think about how much it costs to trade for a superstar now. When Danny Ainge did it in 2008 or 2007, whenever he made the trades, he had accumulated so many assets that he traded for two of them in one offseason. How many teams can you think of that could do that, right? Like, Obviously, teams get multiple superstars in offseason. You know, we saw Kawhi and Paul George. We've seen any number of other situations like that. Can you think of any other situation where a team traded for two market value stars in one offseason? I don't think that's ever happened. No, that's insane. And it's just it seems like it's it's impossible now. Just with I mean, I don't know if it's because of the cap and how much guys make now. But to even have the matching salary to get to get two guys would just be impossible now. I think if if Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett became available right now, Ray Allen would get traded for four first round picks and I don't know, some other good young lottery guy. And Kevin Garnett would get traded for everything you have. Right. Like I remember when they were negotiating the Garnett trade, a big sticking point was we don't want to put Rajon Rondo in the deal. Can you imagine a team saying that now? Like, OK, then you're not getting Kevin Garnett. Yeah, that's like the Tyler Hero thing, right? <laughs> Well, yeah, and case in point, the Heat didn't get James Harden. So yeah. there you go. Well, it's like, but I, want, I, I mean, you think about those guys, too, just real quick. Like, 
like Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett, like they if they were a free agents now or they were available now, like those are just two perfect guys, a, a dead eye shooter who can also create his own shot and the best, most versatile defensive forward of all time. Like those guys would still be raking in the cash. Well, it was a rare situation too, where like you look at the Nets and they have three superstars. They're three pretty redundant superstars. They might win the title anyway because they're so talented. Danny Ainge traded for two superstars that fit perfectly with not only the star of the year he had, but the young guys that he kept, right? Like, think about how traditionally perfect that starting lineup is that Doc Rivers will never stop reminding us has never lost a playoff series. Rajon Rondo, traditional point guard. Ray Allen, dead-eye shooter. Paul, um, Paul Pierce, overall scoring forward, can score from anywhere. KG, you know, he can shoot a little, but he's not shooting threes. But back then, you know, mid-range jumpers really spaced the floor. Incredible defender, can cover so much ground. And then Kendrick Perkins, your traditional tough guy center. Like, that is the archetypical NBA starting lineup, right? Like, that's what you're trying to build. And he did it by trading for two superstars. Like, I don't think we can say enough about what an accomplishment that team was, totally independent of what came afterward. And, and also, that, did that kick off the, the big three era in Ernest? Er- yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, LeBron changed teams in response to the Celtics. Like, and then everything that came after LeBron was in response to the Heat. So, yeah, I would say that he certainly kicked off that era. But also, like, can you name me – how many Danny Ainge trades can you name me that were losses? How many trades has he lost? None. Or very few, anyway. Like, I think he went, like, straight up a, almost a decade where he just never made a wrong move. There have certainly been some recent mistakes – I would argue the whole Gordon Hayward situation in particular was a disaster, right? Like they could have had Miles Turner. They end up with Evan Fournier. The Kyrie Irving situation kind of went, fell away from him, but it was the right move at the time. Like if you go back from, say, the Ray Allen trade through the up to the Kyrie Irving trade, I would argue there isn't a loss anywhere in that period. I mean, uh, the, the one that stands out is obviously the, the Isaiah Thomas just just pulling the wool over the can. The Cavs' eyes with that one. I mean, poor Isaiah. I love that guy. And my wife, to this day, will not root for the Celtics. She hates the Celtics because they traded him away. But, God, if you look back at that trade, it's so bad. Like, it's so bad. And they got Kyrie well, Irving out of it. Can we also talk about just how daring the first Isaiah Thomas trade was, right? Like, at that point, they were still a tanking team. They should not have been giving up first-round picks for, like, veterans on their second contract. They saw something in Isaiah Thomas that we didn't, and he turned out to finish, what, fourth in MVP? Yeah, <laughs> All-NBA like, player. How amazing is that? They gave up one first-round pick. And by the way, it wasn't even the best first-round pick in that trade. As you'll recall, the 76ers traded Michael Carter-Williams in that deal to the Bucks for a very valuable Lakers pick. The Celtics just gave up one of their own picks or one of their whatever it was. Like, they had such a surplus that it might have come from another team. I can't remember. And they end up getting the MVP candidate out of that trade. Like, man, we we really can't say enough about what a good job Danny Ainge has done. Yes, there have been miscues. And yes, we have to mention that he could have traded for Jimmy Butler. He could have traded for Paul George. He could have traded for Kawhi Leonard. He didn't. I would argue, and I wrote about this today, that the NBA sort of passed him by, right? Like, he was a real pioneer. He was somebody who saw what roster building would become years in advance. The problem is... He never adapted off of it, right? Like when everybody else started trading for SARS, he kind of zagged and just said, no, I'm going to hold on to my mountain of assets. And the problem with doing that is that when you have so many assets, each of those assets becomes less valuable, right? Like 
if you have 10 first round picks, you can't find minutes for all those guys. So the players you end up taking are probably not going to develop as well. And this goes all the way up to the James Harden situation where they could have traded Jalen Brown for James Harden. I think I feel pretty comfortable saying that. I think in 2008, Danny Ainge would have done that. In 2021, he didn't. And I'm not going to say that it cost the Celtics a championship. I think there are other roster concerns that we'll get to there. But if you had Jason Tatum and James Harden, like you're a reasonable contender to win the East at the very least. Yeah, I think another thing that he fell victim to that we've kind of learned is just the depreciation of assets. Like a, a first-round pick, uh, a 2027 first-round pick now is great. A 2027 first-round pick in 2027 probably isn't as good because it's going to be, you know, number 26 or whatever. So teams like, you know, the Warriors are going through this now with uh, Wiseman not being as good as they hoped and that Minnesota pick not being as good as they hoped. And if they would have traded those earlier, you know, I don't know what deals are on the table, but the idea is that when you have these assets, you have to capitalize on them when they're valuable at the peak of their value. And if you hang on to them and hang on to them and hang on to them, there's a good chance that those assets will depreciate to the point where you either won't be able to use them or you're going to get much less of a return. Well, that's the really depressing thing for them. It's not just that their assets depreciated. It's that it was their assets that were depreciating each other, right? It's like, Gershon Yabusele comes to the Celtics and he can't get any minutes because they have five other first round picks ahead of him. So I think that was something that a lot of teams kind of learned from. And I think a lot of the pitfalls of building that way, he kind of made apparent and teams are, you know, going to be more able to avoid them. I want to move into conspiracy theory territory. There's a okay. lot to pick at here. Can we get uh, some X-Files music? Maybe like a bed. It's probably Colin, you're the one who edits this podcast. If we're going to get that music, it's going to be you. It's, it's probably copyrighted. Um, I'll have to get like a royalty-free version that's like kind of yeah. sounds like it, like like the whistling is a little bit off. Yeah, just some like public domain flute music or something. <laughs> I don't. Um, anyway, conspiracy theory number one. I don't know if this is a conspiracy, but I think it's worth mentioning. Danny Ainge hired Brad Stevens, and I'm not going to say that he hired him out of relative obscurity because he had made two finals before, obviously. In college, anyway. But nobody was thinking, like, this Butler coach is the next big thing in the NBA. That was, one of, the most, that was one of the most surprising things. Like, I remember that happening. Everybody's like, what? I remember it happening. I remember being surprised. But I also thought, like, this is a smart hire. I liked it. Oh, I think, yeah, it. I think everybody liked it. I think that just came out of nowhere. But now, like, Brad Stevens is taking Danny's job. There was a really interesting quote from Danny Ainge, who was on the radio earlier. He said that Brad hadn't always agreed with the Celtics front office, so now this will be his chance. I think there was some more friction there than maybe we 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 thought. There has to. I mean, anytime like you can say you can say anything you want about oh yeah, it's a peaceful transfer of power or whatever. Like anytime someone is taking someone else's job, there's got to be friction and tension, whether it's now, whether it was in the past or whatever. So, do we think this was a total result of the Daniel Tice trade? Do we even get to all this was? <laughs> that was like it. Brad Stevens was so mad that Danny H took away his precious center that he had to go steal his job. And now he's going to trade for Daniel Tice back. Like you stuck me with Luke Cornette. That's the unicornet to you, actually, Colin. I, hey, you yeah. don't need, as I talk about a lot, I'm a DFS guy. And if you want to you talk about fantasy points per minute, this guy, Luke Cornette, gets the job done. Strokes threes, gets block shots. Carry on. Luke Cornett was one of the first NBA players ever to like something of mine on Twitter. It meant a, a, a lot to me. Like, it was a big deal. That's huge. The weird thing was, 
it was not a Luke Cornett highlight. It was a Davis Bertans highlight that he liked. And I was just like, is there like a fraternity of shooting big men that like all supports each other on Twitter? He's probably like, yeah, this is what I could be doing if they would just use me right. Also, side note, uh, Luke Cornett's sister has one of the most viral uh, videos of all time where at halftime of UCLA, uh, a UCLA basketball game, she hit like the layup, free throw, three-pointer, and, and half-court shot to win a car. But um, she's she a member. She was a First member of, all, of the UCLA basketball team, so she didn't get oh, to beat the car. Yeah, but yeah, it was, was it's say, pretty like, money. Was she a player? But also, first of all, did Luke Cornett go there? Did he go to UCLA? No, I don't know where he went, but it wasn't UCLA. It'd be funny if like she went to UCLA and like she was the big shot basketball player in the family, and he went to like I don't know what's a small basketball. He went. Team. He went to Vanderbilt. Oh, that's that's not that bad. That's a power five school. Okay, that's not the end of the world. I was thinking like he made the NBA from like Bucknell or something. <laughs> that's how did we get all the Oh, we're how talking we about Celtic future Celtics yes. legends. Oh yeah, of course. Uh, and the Daniel <laughs> Tice trade. I had something else I wanted to say about Luke Cornett. Oh, here's the other thing I wanted to say. Do you know any viral stars? Like, do you know anybody who's famous on the internet? Uh, well, I mean, King Josiah, I played against him in, in high school. So we're kind of friendly. I wouldn't say I know him and he's not really like a star of the videos. He's just like, he creates the videos. Um, you know, the name Lele Pons. That sounds familiar. She was a Vine star and she went to my high school. She, we were not in the same class, but like she was getting so big that I couldn't avoid her. And I had to watch all of these Vine videos taking place at my high school, and it was the weirdest experience. Wow, that's cool. That you know about my other famous high school story, right? Uh, have you told it on the podcast? I've, I don't know if I've told it on the podcast. Look her up. Um, an Instagram model named Natalia Garaboto went to my high school, and she is most famous because the Pope on Instagram liked one of her pictures. I don't know if the Pope is actually running that account, but whoever does did and it turned into a whole vatican scandal also quietly and this is how i'm going to bring it back to not only basketball but the celtics she briefly dated kyrie irving there it is see you brought it full circle man she's a nice girl my high school reunion is in october so maybe i'll see her there but i definitely have some questions about kyrie if i run into her okay we should probably get back to the celtics did you yeah did you even say what the conspiracy theory was oh right that wasn't a conspiracy i just kind of wanted to bring it up like do we think Brad like stabbed Danny in the back? It's like, what do we think happened here? Could be some like like Macbeth type of things going on, like hiding behind a curtain. I mean, there's also like, I hate to say this, but Brad Stevens is like what forty? Like he might be in the NBA for another thirty years. He's a more valuable asset than Danny Ainge is. Like who's sixty two, and I hate to say this, he's had a couple heart attacks. Like I, I think Danny yes. probably like a dark, like a dark real quick. I'm just, I'm sorry, that's what happened. Like. I'm not saying, like, I I think Danny would be a very good GM if he got hired by another team. It's not like he got fired. But I think realistically, if there was a power struggle here, the Celtics had to be realistic and say, Brad is the long-term asset. Danny isn't. We've got to side with Brad. The conspiracy I want to put forth is that I don't think it's a coincidence that this happened on the same day that we got the news of Coach K retiring. Here's my broad conspiracy. I think there are some details to work out. Maybe you can help me fill in the gaps. It's like a half-baked conspiracy Yeah, I think what happened here was Duke was prepared to offer the coaching job to Brad Stevens, and Coach K would have stepped down immediately instead of doing the coach and winning thing. He went to the Celtics and said either I'm going to take this job or 
I'm going to take this job if you don't do X, Y, or Z. And that turned out to be was making him the GM. And I think the Celtics agreed. They said, okay, we want to keep you. We will make you president. So Duke went the other way before anything could get out. They didn't want John Shire to be undermined by this Brad Stevens news. They immediately named him the coach in waiting as a preemptive strike, I guess. A couple of things jump out. First of sure. all, the, this whole situation with Brad Stevens seems weird to me. Um, they said, I guess the reporting is that he got kind of tired of coaching and was ready to move on to something else. A little weird, uh, considering you did mention his age. He's 44. Um, he has been one of the most, uh, in, at least in the media, beloved coaches uh, over the past, you know, five, six years, wherever long he's been there. Um, it's weird to me that he would just want to stop coaching. So that makes me think there's a little something going on. Um, I guess my, my, my hole in your conspiracy theory is why would he want to be in the front office of the Celtics rather than coaching at Duke? Well, we have to figure that out altogether, right? Like maybe the way it was, was that if you look at the three jobs, Celtics head coach, Duke head coach, Celtics president of basketball operations, maybe he viewed them in that order, right? Like maybe he thought I would rather be the head coach of Duke than the head coach of the Celtics because coaching in college is a significantly easier job, right? Like, yes, you have to recruit, but you have 30 games a year and your season lasts three months. If you're an NBA head coach, well, not three months, but like what, four or five? It's a shorter season. And recruiting at, Duke, recruiting at Duke is not that hard, by the way. Like if you're Brad Stevens and you've made two final fours and you've been an NBA coach, I feel like he could just go into lock or go into kids' houses and say like, I'm Brad Stevens, you want to play for me. But I think there's a realistic chance that if he was burnt out by coaching, he would rather take the easier Duke job than stay in Boston Especially since, like, frankly, we'll get to this. Boston's situation, like, it's bright, but it's not what it used to be. But being a GM is easier than being a coach, no matter where you are, right? Like, at least on a day-to-day grind level. So maybe that was it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, and, and it's just, you know, a lot of people just get kind of sick. He's been coaching probably since he was, what, 20 years old? Like, I wish you just kind of get sick of it and you were ready for a change. It's amazing to me that Brad Stevens is 44. Like, I'll always think of him like he's, like, what, 29? Like, I think of him, like, you know how Jason Tatum is going to be 19 forever? Yeah. It's like that. It's like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I think Brad Stevens is 19, too. Yeah. But it's it's also weird to me that they would make him the head of the front office when he has no front office experience, which seems like an odd thing to do for a team that's, you know, presumably wants to be in the title picture. The next. It's a transition that nobody's ever made, right? Like, I'm not, I can't think of anybody who's ever gone, like, from solely being the coach to solely being the president of basketball operations. I can think of guys who did that in reverse. Greg Popovich did it with the Spurs. And I can think of guys who've had both jobs. There have been a bunch of them. I can't ever remember such a specific transition like this. We see it in football sometimes, right? Like, Mike Holmgren did it, where he was the head coach with the Seahawks, and then he was GM of the Browns. I can't ever think of anybody who's done this. Can you? No, and when I, I guess going back to like what was it like hearing this news when I first saw that he was taking over as president of basketball operations, I just assumed he was still the head coach because I hadn't scrolled down to that tweet yet, and I was like, haven't we done this a bunch and realized that it doesn't work? And then I was like, oh wait, he's not the coach anymore, which is even kind of even weirder. This is a very strange situation to me. I think your first conspiracy theory about kind of the backdoor dealings and friction, there's got to be something there because remember Stevens. Uh, reportedly got that huge offer from Indiana 
to go there and he turned them down. So it's like he turned them down to to quit coaching and become a president of basketball operations. It's very weird. Would you rather be a head coach or a GM? Me personally? Yeah. A GM, just because I have no idea how to coach. I'd be okay, really, well, really bad at it. Let's say you could do both <laughs> jobs equally. I'm talking about the lifestyle. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, guess, I mean, I guess I don't know enough about the day-to-day grind of being a GM. I know the day-to-day grind of coaching is not for me. <laughs> so I guess I'll say GM, but I don't, I don't want to put that out there and then people say, well, being a GM is actually a lot more work because I don't know. I mean... I, I think it's different kinds of work, and I think it's a more manageable workload. I know I couldn't be a coach because deep down I know if I were a coach, I would be Tom Thibodeau. Like, I know what I would do is I would play seven guys 40 minutes, and that would the, just And be you'd bad. be the savior of New York City basketball. I don't think that's going to end well in a few years, but we can have that <laughs> conversation another time. I think we're already seeing tweets about, like, look, Thibodeau ran his players into the ground, and they couldn't bring it in the playoffs. It's like, that's not why they lost, guys. Well, yeah, they lost because they didn't have enough talent. But again, that's another conversation. But I know if I were a coach, like, I mean, if people on Lakers Twitter know this, I turn on players so, so quickly. Like, I was posting negative Marcus Gasol clips after game two, which is, like, ludicrous if you've listened to any episode yeah, of this you're, podcast. You're the if Andre Drummond, like, if he got, like, if he got hit with one back screen on the Spain pick and roll for me, he would never see the court again. Like, that would just be it. So that's why I know I can't coach. I think there's a fantasy basketball element of being a GM that gets overplayed a little bit. I think there are a lot of things to that job that, you know, maybe we wouldn't understand unless we had it. It's I'm not saying it's an easy job, but you're right. The day-to-day grind, it just seems like a significantly easier job. But I think we can use this as a way to transition into the coaching search. I don't know who they can hire because anyone they hire, if they struggle even a little bit, the Celtics fans are going to be saying, we want Brad back. We want Brad back. You've got to hire a coach with a certain amount of clout, right? Well, that's the Pat, the Pat Riley problem, right? <laughs> like Spolstra with the big three. God, get off to that. that Stan Van Gundy already has a job because that would have been so funny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he'll just come down from the front office and be like, all right, guys, I'll take it from here. But um, it, it sounds like, like that's why I think. Jay Laranega is probably the favorite is because like he's his guy and they can kind of have a yeah coaches talk about all the time about having to have a good working relationship with the front office and ownership so I mean if he was your guy and now he's the head coach I presumably there could still be some strings that Steven's pulling which is would lead to its own source of friction but um, kind of you know make an easier transition than bringing in say a Jason Kidd He's probably got his own staff, his own ideas, you know, all that stuff. So uh, I would lean towards having more of an internal hire, but it, it's the Celtics. So if there's somebody they want, they can go out there and, and probably get them. See, I go the other way and I say, if you hire Jay Laranega, you are putting your friend in a very difficult position where if it doesn't work out, like, do you think Brad is going to be capable of firing him? I mean, I'm sure the answer is yes, but it wouldn't be easy. I think you go the other way and you just, A, you get a new voice for that locker room because I don't think that Brad had lost the locker room by any means. I mean, clearly COVID was really the factor that killed that team. And there were some roster issues as well. But I think if you're doing this, it's because you want a different voice. I I don't know. Like if I were them, my first choice would probably be Mike D'Antoni because you'd want somebody who's accomplished considering how accomplished that roster is. If you were going to go a first time head coach, I would hire a player with a certain degree of clout, 
whether that's Chauncey Billups or Sam Cassell, James Herbert, our friend at CBS Sports, we were texting earlier. Can you guess what his idea was? Himself? No, he's not going to hire. He's not going to coach the Celtics. <laughs> guess what his idea was for who they should hire? Uh, no, tell me. I'm not going to guess, man. That's lame. Um, his, his, his solution was Rajon Rondo. That's a very James thing to say. It is a very James thing to say. I don't <laughs> think the Clippers would let him out of his contract, so I think it's moot. But I would I would watch every Celtics game if that was what happened. That would be um, incredible. How about Kevin Garnett? Let's get him in there. Well, isn't he trying to buy the Timberwolves? Like, has that fallen through? I, we don't really know what the whole situation is. I think it it seems like he wants to be with Minnesota, right? Oh, I thought A-Rod. Assuming they get sold? I don't know any of this stuff. Yeah, I, I don't know what A-Rod's planning to do with that team, but I mean, don't I don't know. Lloyd, I, think... Lloyd Pier- I love how Lloyd Pierce's name is thrown into this. Like, he just got fired by the Hawks, and they became a, a demonstrably better team. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, the Celtics are going to hire him. Like, no, that's not happening. Is Nate McMillan under contract with the Hawks next season? Because he wasn't uh, in a yeah, I think he's interim, so I would imagine. Maybe. Like, I don't to... know. If I were the Celtics, I'd give him a call. Um, what was I going to say? I totally lost my train of thought. Um, but my, my overall point here is that I just – I think if you're doing this, you want to get a new voice in there somehow. And I, w- I think there are any number of other directions you can go. I think – honestly, I don't think Kevin Garnett would be a bad choice. I don't think he's going to interview for it. But I don't know. Kevin Garnett is about as smart as basketball players come. And we should say, I don't know if we mentioned it yet, but according to the reports, uh, Stevens basically has his choice, right? He, or is a heavy influence on who the next coach is going to be. Is there another Brad Stevens out there? Like, is there somebody he could hire who was like him when he was a butler? Yeah, I see. I wish I knew more about college basketball because uh, there's got to be one of those, you know, mid-major programs that's like on the come up and their coach is like a hot name. I just I'm sure everyone at home is screaming like the obvious ones, but I just know nothing about college basketball. Yeah, I'm just honestly something that I'm thinking a lot this offseason in general. I guess we're still in the playoffs is I really want Mike D'Antoni to get one last shot. I don't think that what went wrong in Houston was on him. And I think he probably should have won a championship in 2018. I would love it if you just gave Mike D'Antoni two stars and like just gave him one last chance to go for it. Not He's an assistant in Brooklyn right now. But I, I would very much like Mike D'Antoni to get this job. But going the other direction, we're talking about who the Celtics might hire as coach. I think it's worth asking why they didn't hire somebody else as the GM. Mike Zarin, who I don't know what his exact title is with the Celtics, he is one of the NBA's premier salary cap experts. And more importantly, he's been like the premier number two in all of basketball for going on a decade at least. I'm surprised that the Celtics didn't at least give him a look, or at least that we know of, right? There doesn't seem to have been an exhaustive process here. He has interviewed for every GM job under the sun and never left the Celtics, presumably thinking that when Danny retired, he would get to take over. Well, now he's not gonna. So A, I would very much like to know what happened there. And B, like, is he going to leave? Yeah, he's uh, as technically the Celtics assistant general manager and team counsel. Wait, he's wait, his, hang on a second. They counsel. never even gave him the fake GM title? He's in his 14th year with the team after starting as an unpaid intern. This is via Celtics.com. I like, you know how like Trajan Langdon is the GM of the Pelicans, but David Griffin makes the decisions? Right. I would think after all these years, they would have given Zarin the fake GM title and maybe the fact that they didn't mean something. Maybe he's he's happy being, you know, the second guy. He doesn't want all that heat on his head. 
I don't think anybody decisions. Colin, as the number two on this podcast, I would think that you would realize that by now. I'm oh, sure you're shots fired. Yes. I'm sure you're plotting my downfall with each just, passing episode. Just because you hosted this episode doesn't mean you're number one forever. I've been plotting that joke since before we started recording, and that's why I volunteered to host this one. Smart man. Always thinking two steps ahead. We have some fake trades for you. And Colin, you told me yours before we started, and I just I want to distance myself from it now and it's say crazy, man. I don't endorse this trade. Let's get nuts. Let's get yeah. nuts. Well, first of all, I before just, we I do the no trades, let's just talk about the Celtics roster and like where should they go from here? Like obviously this season was kind of an outlier, uh, coming off the short off season from being in the bubble, the COVID issues. Jalen Brown being hurt for the playoffs, Kemba never being healthy, although that might not be an outlier. That might just be reality from now on. Um, so I guess the question is, like, looking at the team, like, are you happy with what you got? Like, is Smart, Tatum, Jalen Brown, Kemba, is that are – you, are you good with that? Or are you trying no. to make – oh, you just said no. You're no, out. not even yeah. a little. I mean, if Kemba was 25 and he was going to be the player he was last year for life as contract, I might feel differently, but – Kemba's on the decline. Marcus Smart, I, I, it, am I reading into things too much? Did it seem like maybe he was getting a little disconnected from the culture this year? I didn't notice that. It's just, I mean, he plays so hard, it's hard to hard to tell. I mean, obviously he gets pissed at people during games. I don't know if that has anything to do with culture or that's just who he is. Um, I guess I can't I'll, really. I'll put it this way. It felt like for the past five years or so, like Marcus Smart was the Boston Celtics. It didn't really feel that way to me now, and that, that's totally subjective. I'm not saying you should read too much into that. But I also look at this roster, and if they were to make a sizable trade of any sort, Marcus Smart is the guy that winning teams would want, right? Like, there's n- none of these young guys, they're, they're talented. Like, I'd love to have Aaron Neesmith on my team. I'd love to have Peyton Pritchard on my team. But if you're making a trade with another contender for a veteran that can help you, they're going to want Marcus Smart. Right, and Smart is has a very tradable salary. It's like fourteen million or something, and he's a free agent after the next season. So I mean, everything is kind of lining up for him to be the guy to trade. But then the question is like, what are you getting? Are you looking for picks? Are you looking for young players? Are you looking for a veteran that's going to help you win now? I guess that's just my bigger question about the Celtics now. Is like, is this a chance for them to hit the reset button and say, you know, Jalen Brown's twenty four. Jason Tatum's 19, as we mentioned. Um, do we need to be in such a rush to try to keep making it to the Eastern Conference Finals? Or can we kind of try to develop, you know, Romeo Langford and these younger players, hopefully hit on some draft picks and see if we can get, uh, you know, to a, 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 a be a championship contender later down the road and not have to do it now? Yeah, I feel like they have a number one in Tatum. They have a number two in Jalen. And they have a lot of serviceable depth, right? Like, Aaron Neesmith is going to be a valuable NBA player. Peyton Pritchard is going to be a valuable NBA player. Robert Williams is going to be a valuable NBA player. They need that thing in between. I don't want to say like, quote unquote, a number three, but like they need another guy who does everything the way that Marcus Smart does, but more talented, I guess. I just thought of a fake trade that's just for you. This is brand new. We have not planned this at all. Marcus Smart for James Wiseman. Oh, no. Uh, Warriors fans are rejoicing right now. They would be so happy with that. Um, just straight up, there's no other... Yeah, just straight up. Like Now, my problem well, with this for Boston is they already have Time Lord. So do they really want another well, that's, center? Yeah, that's... 
Honestly, I don't know if the Celtics would do it even if they didn't have time. <laughs> Just because Wiseman right now seems so far away. Like, it's, I guess it's one thing to reset the timeline, but, like, Tatum is clearly, like, he's an all-NBA player right now. Jalen Brown's an all-star right now. And even if they're still a few years away from their peak peak, they're still really good. And from what we saw with Wiseman with the Warriors, it's going to take a while. Um, I, I don't think they would do something like that. Um, well, if you're trying to get them another star on Tatum and Brown's timeline, I'm giving you the floor. Put <laughs> This is never going to happen. I, I want nothing to do with this trade. Just say it. So let let me lay the, the groundwork here. Um, nobody, I, I think it, it makes sense that the that Boston would want to get rid of Kemba Walker, right? I agree. Um, I have some Kemba trades too. Okay. Um, he makes a ton of money. Uh, he's always injured. It's not going to get better. You need to find a team that will take him. Um and in return, you want to get a player who's going to help you win either right now or down the line or both. So there's one team that I think kind of fits the bill, and that is the Oklahoma City Thunder. And then you're like, why Why would the Oklahoma City Thunder want to get Kemba Walker? So uh, the trade is for now, hold, hold your judgment. Let's go Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And Al Horford, you know, to fill the salary for Kemba Walker. And, and, here's the thing. The Celtics have all of their first-round picks. All of them. So, if you're getting Shea Gilders-Alexander to pair with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Time Lord Rob Williams, and possibly Marcus Smart, I think you got to throw in some first-round picks because that makes you competitive now and it makes you competitive down the road. The question is how many... But let's just say it's a godfather offer, you know, three first rounders and four pick swaps, whatever. Sam, who who says no? The Thunder say no. And I don't even think I don't think so many picks. Here's what here's your problem, Colin. Here's where this trade goes wrong. Look at the trade that Brooklyn made with Houston. They got James Harden, who I believe is 32. Kevin Durant in his 30s has a ruptured Achilles on his resume. Kyrie Irving, like, he could retire tomorrow, and I wouldn't be surprised. Those picks that Houston got had upside, right? The early picks weren't going to be super valuable, but you would presume at the very least, when you get to 25, 26, 27, those Nets picks are going to be pretty valuable, especially because they'll have no way of replenishing the roster after those guys leave, right? Like, they're probably going to be in purgatory for a few years, and Houston's going to cash in then. Jason Tatum is – well, I was about to say Jason Tatum is 23. Jason no. Tatum is 19. <laughs> Jalen Brown is 24. Those picks that you're giving up, if you're Boston and you have Tatum, Brown, and Shane Gildas-Alexander, you're basically giving up four number 30 picks. Why does Oklahoma City want those bad picks? Look, we just talked about Danny Ainge's run as GM and how the, the future picks – you never know what's going to happen in this league. Jason Tatum gets injured. Jalen Brown gets sick of being second fiddle and demands a trade. Anything can happen. And OKC is in the asset accumulation business. They're going to get more and more and more and more and more first-round picks. Uh, taking on the salary of Kemba Walker, hey, maybe he plays well for them and they can end up flipping him for something. Um, I understand the hesitancy of trading a guy like Gilgis Alexander. I love him so much. I just think he's exactly what the Celtics need. And if... You know, 
OKC is looking at their own roster and timeline and saying, look, Shea Gilgis-Alexander is this good already. We're not going to be good for a very long time based on the way that their team looks right now. It might be worth cashing in on him now when they can rather than avoid having to pay him you know, later on. I am not necessarily against the idea of trading SGA. I think we've had this conversation on the podcast. The problem the Thunder almost ran into this season was that he was so good they couldn't tank effectively, and that's clearly what they want to do. So I am not necessarily against the idea of trading SGA. Boston just can't make the best offer. Like, I can end this in three words. You want to know what those words are? Let's hear it. New York Knicks. No. The Knicks. Would you rather have all of Boston's picks or all of the Knicks picks? Yeah, but would the Knicks do that? Yes. That's their franchise player. If you had Randall, SGA, Barrett, and Max Capspace, you're really talking there. Like, that's something. Yeah, I guess. I don't I just – there are a lot of teams out there that I think could outbid Boston if SGA was really out there. I like, think I think we both know this is a little bit of a, you know, out-of-left-field yes. trade, yes. but I like the thought experiment. Yes. Of, it basically gets to the point of, like, the Celtics have all these picks. We spent the first half hour of this podcast talking about how Danny Ainge was too patient or didn't pull the trigger when he should have. Is the new front office just going to be much more aggressive, whether it's Shea I, yeah. or somebody else throwing in some I like where picks. your head is yeah. at. I think if I were them and there was, a, you know, the godfather draft pick package for young star X, I would do that. I just don't think that that right now is particularly feasible. I can't think of who that guy really is for them, I guess. So I think what's more realistic is if they were going to trade a bunch of picks, probably do it for multiple guys. But if you want to talk about adding a young star, I think I might have the trade for you. Oh, I'm excited. You know, I'm already in a negative mind frame because you shot mine down so quickly. So this better be good. I'm not even going to offer an explanation. I'm just going to say the names in the trade. and I'm going to ask you who says no. Are you ready? Let's hear it. Kemba Walker for Chris Asporzingis. Have I killed you? Have I destroyed your brain? I don't hate. I don't hate it. Right? It's not that crazy. I don't hate it. I think. I mean, ultimately, Dallas says no, but right. Probably so, well, should. let me <laughs> let me dive into this a little bit more. Chris Asporzingis has one more guaranteed year in his contract than Kemba. So, if you're Dallas, you're making this trade essentially with saying the Porzingis thing did not work out. Maybe it's because he's always hurt. Maybe it's because he's not as good as they thought. Maybe it's because he and Luca don't like each other. Whatever it is, they're just saying, we're punting. We're getting out of the last year. And our plan from this point is Kemba has two years left on his deal. This offseason, we're just going to sign two-year contracts. And then in two years, we're wiping the books clean. By then, Luca is probably either the MVP or pretty close. And we think we can recruit somebody to come play with him then. That, I think, is their logic. And if you're Boston... You're taking on one extra year of guaranteed money to turn a guy in his 30s into a guy in his 20s who still has quite a bit of upside, right? Like, do you think Porzingis could play with Robert Williams? I think that could work. I think, I think you would really have hope, to, right? I mean, right? And they're different offensively. Like, one is a rim runner, one is a shooter. I think that's really something. Yeah, it's uh, I, I don't hate it. Um, I think I guess Boston the, probably has to include a pick, right? And they're both oft-injured players, so you're not yes. really... You know, not much of a slot there. Damn, man, and I was ready to way, shoot this down. I kind of like it now. Dallas has given up two first-round picks to get Porzingis. If they could get one back, they'd probably say, you know what? It was a smart risk, but let's move in another direction. 
I think if you're in the Mavericks, you have to gear everything you do towards getting a second star for Luka. It doesn't look like they're going to be able to get one through free agency this summer because there just isn't one available unless they knock out Kawhi and we've had that conversation. <laughs> right, and then he just goes to Dallas. They don't have enough picks to trade for that guy and they don't have a second core young piece to offer. I, if I were them, I would be thinking, how can we make ourselves as attractive and flexible from a cap perspective in free agency as possible a few years down the line? And I think that's a way you can do it. You're just essentially, you're taking an older player to shave a year off of that contract. You're essentially looking at Porzingis and Gemba as non-factors as players. All you're thinking about is the contract. And if you're looking at Porzingis and the relationship with Luca, and if you see the writing on the wall there, it's certainly best to get ahead of that before, yeah. you know, Luca demands a trade or not from the Mavericks demands that Kristaps be traded. And by the way, yeah, you lose like all your leverage here. then, right? right? Like, you know, you don't want to be in a position where you're, you have one of the worst contracts in the NBA and you're saying like, we have to move it. That's when you end up giving up several first round picks to get off of him. So right. I like this. I'm, I'm starting to get into it. Um, yeah. It's the, uh, I have, the only other question I have is the, uh, like you said with me, would there be another team with a better offer that's like more attractive for Kemba Walker than well, Kemba Walker? Who do you think wants Porzingis? I have one team in mind that I think maybe should take the risk. The New York Knicks. No. No. <laughs> um, I think the team that might want to consider taking that risk is the Pelicans. Interesting. I mean, you pair Zion with a shooting big man. Porzingis is he's an inconsistent rebounder, but I think he has more upside than he's shown. And just in general, I think you don't want Zion playing center defensively. He's not a rim protector. So just plop um, Porzingis by the rim and say, Zion, just go be a great athlete on defense and we'll figure it out. And they get Steven Adams back? I don't know how you'd construct a trade, <laughs> but, you know, I, I sure, whatever it takes. I think if there was a team that was going to go for Porzingis, New Orleans seems like the sensible one. But That's look okay. up and down the league. There aren't that many teams out there that are like, position for Porzingis. Do you think that's a risk the Warriors might take? Um maybe. Maybe. I think certainly Kerr could talk himself into uh you know a rim protector in quotes who can stretch to the three point line. The downside is like as you talk about a lot, Steve Kerr loves him some vertical spacing. He does. So that is I mean that's Porzingis doesn't really jump. But there also might be a point where it's like, is if it's Chris Stapps or Wiseman, you know, Chris Stapps. God, you imagine Porzingis and Wiseman <laughs> on the same team? Like, I'm thinking here Andrew Wiggins straight up for Porzingis. Brad Bach can close your ears. He's not going to want to discuss yeah, it. Yeah, I doubt. I, the, they would never do that. They they need wings. Like, they wouldn't give up a wing for a big. Yeah, looking just up and down the league, I don't see many other teams. Like, unless you're thinking about a team just has so little talent, they take the risk. Like, could Cleveland trade for Porzingis? Sure. Like, they have no good reason not to, but there aren't many obvious fits out there. Ironically, I do think he'd be a decent fit for the Knicks, but we're not going to go down that road. I have a more sensible Kemba trade, though. It's one that we mentioned on this podcast a couple times. The Clippers are now one game short of elimination. Do you think there's something there? Like, maybe send Marcus Morris back to Boston, maybe Luke Kennard, too, just to match the salaries, maybe give the Celtics a shooter. I think that could work. Yeah, that was my that was actually the first team that I looked at when I was looking for for Kemba trades and uh, they could you know I'm I'm thinking obviously me being who I am I was thinking a little bigger with something like Smart and Kemba for Paul George or something like that 
Um, I just think if you're the Clippers, you don't need a star point guard. You just need, if you're going the point guard route, you just want like a decent starter. You want to augment Kawhi and Paul George. I don't think you want to break them up unless like Zach Lowe kind of mentioned. I I don't know. Zach Lowe kind of mentioned on his podcast the other day that he was thinking like Ben Simmons for Paul George. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I guess I guess my what I'm thinking is like if the Clippers lose this series, which at the time of this taping they're down three two, um they're gonna wanna like shake something up, right? They're not just gonna keep running it back with new supporting cast every year, or are they just gonna do that until the contracts run out? You know, <laughs> like they gotta do something different. Oh, Colin, I'm dumb. I just thought of the perfect Chris Stapworth thing is straight. Let's hear it. Contavious Caldwell Pope and Montrez Harrell for Chris Epps, Porzingis. Is, is, why, why is Dallas doing that? Just to get off the money? Just to get off the money, yeah. They get so, off the money. And the Lakers, like, oh, Chris Stapps, you have problems on defense? Let's pair you with Anthony Davis. Oh, you just want to shoot? That's not a problem because the Lakers, all they need is shooting. I would think about that. How many days I, until LeBron ends up punching Chris Stapps, Porzingis in the face and then getting him traded? Oh, I think that's already happened. Like, I think that kind of happened, like, maybe All-Star Weekend one year. Yeah, I, I don't think they would – I think Le- he would very much frustrate LeBron. And I just give you my Lakers shooting big man theory real quick. It better be quick. Yeah, okay. I think that Kevin Love is going to get bought out and sign with the Lakers. Is awesome. Ooh, that's what they need. More old guys, yeah. Yeah. God, I would love a Kevin Love Marcus All front court. If they could get by <laughs> that. You have no idea, Colin, how happy that would make me. Isn't it crazy how Marcus Gasol is still such a good defender, even though he, like, can't move? It's so weird. Well, that was the thing. In game two, the Suns just totally isolated him in pick and roll. They switch on him, and they just said, okay, Mark, we're going to make you dance. And for a game, that worked. And then the Lakers just gave him the slightest bit of help in game three, and, like, oh, all of a sudden, Marcus Gasol looks like Marcus Gasol again, right? <laughs> like, as long as he's not on an island against a 25-year-old, he's okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, this isn't the Lakers podcast. This is no, a Celtics this is a Celtics. Which, well, I would argue that any Celtics podcast is inherently a Lakers podcast. Oh, wow. Celtics fans aren't going to like that. Uh, do you keep Fournier? I would. Yeah, I just, I don't think you can get rid of the asset, right? And as inconsistent as Fournier was in Boston, I also just want to ask, who's giving him a big contract? Like, I don't think it's going to be that expensive to keep him. So teams are going to have money, though, you know, like there are there's a lot of cap space out there, but it's concentrated with a few teams like San Antonio is like seven, 70 million. Oklahoma City is like 70 million. The Knicks have a bunch. I just don't think those are teams that are going to go for 48. Yeah, I know you always say that. And then somebody just throws a somebody 20, does 20 million a year at him. It's like, all right. I think it's more likely that he resigns for like four years, 13 million a year. Something like that. I, I feel like it'll be more, but maybe that I'm overrating for it. He did. He had a really good year in Orlando, and I think he had he showed enough with the Celtics that teams could convince themselves like. Well, he plays a premium is, position and he he has a premium skill, which is shooting. He had a really good year in Orlando, but like, how many teams are built like Orlando, where like just one guy shooting is manna from heaven? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I think in a more normal NBA team dynamic, which Boston wasn't this year, by the way. So like, take that with a grain of salt. I think Fournier is like slightly less valuable than the 17 million that he got. Like if he got 15 million a year, I wouldn't blink. Like Evan Fournier is a good player. He's not a very good defender. Like I think he's been overrated on that front. I think there is sort of an instinct with certain guys 
just because they're good shooters to be like, oh yeah, three and D guy. Like they have the size, they have the athleticism. It's never really come together for Fournier defensively. He's more of an offense guy. Yeah, there's a lot of guys in the NBA who like don't have the three or don't have the D, but they still get but called we three call and them D three guys. And D. Yes. <laughs> well, it's because think about it. how many real three and D guys are there. Like name the three and D guys. I watch Contavious Caldwell Pope every night. The three is like it's there once a week, and then the rest of the week it's gone. He's like I a two and a half and D guy. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> like how many true three and D guys are there? And like by the way. When you really think about it, a lot of the 3 and D guys have graduated past being 3 and D. Like Paul George is a 3 and D guy. If you look at the way that he plays, it's just that he does so many other things that you can't call him that. Now it's, it's just Mikhail Bridges. That's it. That's it. And by the way, <laughs> Mikhail Bridges is going to be a, an all-star in two years. So we won't even be able to call him that. That's true. He's going to. OG and Ovi, there's one. Is he? That's yeah, he's, he's, he's shooting now. Yeah. So, like, at a given time, there are, like, five really good 3 and D guys in the league. And then there are, like, 30 who have half of the equation. Yeah. Speaking of which, Real, Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart. Jay Crowder is another one. Depends well, on Marcus, the day. You catch Marcus on the right guy on the right night, he's, like, a 4 and D guy. The problem is, <laughs> wrong night, he's a 1 and D guy. So, I think if the Celtics, like we've said, if they're going to make a big trade, I think Marcus is the likeliest guy to be included just because he's the guy that other teams would value. I mentioned Golden State once with Wiseman. What about the Minnesota pick for Smart if it's not in the top four? Like, what if it ends up being six? Yeah, I mean, I guess it, again, depends on what the direction of the the Celtics. Like, are are they willing to take a step back this year in order to get better in the future, in theory? depending on what the pick is. but um, this, The perfect fit for Marcus Smart is Brooklyn, but I, I don't think those teams are trading again. Yeah, I, I do think that the, the Warriors are going to be very aggressive going for guys like that, um, and I don't think they necessarily care that much about the seventh or eighth pick in the draft, depending on where it is. I would agree with that, and I mean, I think this strategy of mine has kind of gained a little bit of traction. I don't think that they're in the mindset that they have to trade the pick and Wiseman together. I think they might think if we can get separately, get a good starter for each of them, that would be okay. Yeah. I think uh, Bob Myers has said similar things. Like we want, we need more guys, like more veterans. Yeah. The truth about training Marcus Smart is that every team would want Marcus Smart. Dallas would love Marcus Smart if we're going to, you know, expand that trade a little bit. Portland would love Marcus Smart. Like every contender would love Marcus Smart. Yeah. So how do you feel about the young guys though? Like, if I said you, you're building a franchise, you can have Aaron Neesmith, Time Lord, or Peyton Pritchard. Who are you taking? Time Lord. Time Lord's the best of the three, but center's yeah. the position to fill. And he's all, he's also hurt all the time. I just I fell in love with Time Lord passing. I think he's he's going to be a really good offensive player. Like he's still so young, and somehow he's listed at six eight. The dude looks like he's like seven four. Well, um, he's six eight, but when he jumps, he gets up to like nineteen feet. Yeah, and his arms are, you know, eight feet long. But um, I, 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 I like Neesmith in the draft a lot. Um, I think he's he's. We talk about three and D guys. I think he's going to be more on the three side than the D. But I'm not sure what his ceiling is as kind of a playmaker or uh, you know, be able able to do things off the dribble as opposed to just kind of spotting up. Um, and Pritchard's fine. He's he is what he is. Um, you know, he's older. Um. He's a good player, but I wouldn't base it's my the offensive version of Alex Caruso. I just I know where this is going. <laughs> I know how Celtic fans are going to attach themselves to him. I just that's where this is going. He's going to be one of those guys that's like 
no, no, he scores seven points a game, but here's why he's actually a great offensive player. Yeah. Like I can tell you, I'm not going to name names, but I know exactly who's going to write that story next year. Like I know it's going <laughs> to blow up. Like I just, I can see the future on this. Put it yeah, in a I, sealed envelope, dated yeah. 2022. Aaron Neesmith can do a little bit more than I thought. Like I thought he was just going to be purely a shooter. I, I don't, granted, I'm not a big draft guy. I don't, you know, I didn't scout him super vigorously. I was surprised by his basketball IQ when I watched him later in the year. I think he's going to grow into something pretty decent. Yeah. And you, there are the injury concerns with the Time Lord as well. Who is Tristan Thompson playing for next year? Oh, that's a good one. I was throwing into, him into all sorts of trades. I think I, I gave him to the Clippers when he, then they got Kemba too. Send him back to Cleveland as a culture guy. A culture guy? That's so funny. Well, right, like if Kevin Love is clearly not happy being a culture guy, if they're going to buy him out, which I think they probably will, just trade for Tristan as like a 10 minutes off the bench guy. I don't think Cleveland needs any more veterans. I think they just need to play the young guys, be really bad, and continue to get draft picks. Well, I, I mean, Boston is not in that position, but I, I do think there's something to the idea that, like, if you're going to wait out this Brooklyn Storm and let Kevin Durant and James Harden get their titles before you really go all in again, I don't think it would be the worst thing if they traded Marcus, they traded Kemba, and they just said, like, Screw it. Maybe next year we go into the we go into opening day with Jalen Tatum, Pritchard, Robert Williams, and Neesmith as our starting five. Like, I do think everything is on the table in that sense. I think I don't think they're likely to trade Smart and Kemba. I do think they probably only trade one. But I would say beyond the Jays, pretty much anything is on the table. Yeah, and but you also have to start thinking about you know keeping Tatum and Jalen happy. And if we're like, hey, we're gonna start three second-year players with you, they might not be too excited about that moving forward. True. They both have several years left on their contract, though, so you can afford to be a little bit patient there. Yeah, you just you never want to, you know. You know how things are in the NBA these days, man. Do we have anything else we want to hit? I don't think so. I think we covered it. Oh, I'll throw one last thing out there. The other advantage, if you were to just give all the playing time to, you know, Robert Williams and Aaron Smith, maybe you could build up their value enough that you have a chance to trade for Bradley Beal. Like if you were going to do all of your picks and all of your young guys, because Bradley Beal and Jalen Brown are pretty tight, right? Aren't they both from St. Louis? Uh, Jason Tatum. Oh, sorry. Excuse me. Jason Tatum. And yeah. So that might be the other thing. If you're planning to trade for a third star, you have to devote some time to building up your trade assets. Like you have to get them enough playing time. They impress other teams. I think if they if they sent some St. Louis style pizza to Bradley Beal, then maybe that would wait, wait, seal wait. the deal for them. I'm from New York. I'm a bit of a snob. St. Louis style pizza is that a thing? Okay, you need to, <laughs> you need wait, to look this up it? when we're done with with the podcast. It's it's an abomination. I don't. I've never had it, so maybe it's delicious. I'm looking this up now. We're we're having this conversation it, on the air. This was like a thing because somebody asked Jason Tatum what his favorite food was, and he said St. Louis style pizza. And then it kind of made the rounds on Twitter, and everyone's like, "Oh my God, what, what is, is this? this?" Yes, that's exactly Wait. the reaction. Yeah, I'm just, I'm kind of at a loss. What are they going for here? <laughs> Provel. Yeah, it's like it honestly, it looks like a wheat thin with some cheese and some sauce, sauce on it. This is what I'm saying, man. It's weird. Oh, Tatum man. swears by it. You know what? I'm glad they're not playing for the Knicks. Like, if you guys can't appreciate proper pizza, how's pizza in the Bay Area, by the way? I've never been. 
it's a it's it's like everything in California. Like it, they just take it from other places and kind of adapt it. So like obviously like the idea. famous stuff is like the Wolfgang Puck barbecue chicken pizza, but like we have like real pizza. Um, it just depends on what you want. We have some really good like uh, Naples style pizza restaurants in the Bay Area. Those those are my favorite. Your wife is a baker. Does she make pizza? She I mean, does. Uh, like, it's yeah. a little bit of a thicker crust, not deep dish, but uh, a little bit thicker. Um, I like it. It's it's uh, with the you know her bread dough, delicious. How have I never? You got to send me some of your wife's baked goods. You know this is an off-air conversation. Yeah. All right, that should probably do it for us today. Colin, anything you want to plug? Anything you want to say? Uh, just you know, hey, CBSSports.com. We've been grinding away on the playoffs. We're uh, getting into the second round now. So if you're not Checking out our coverage on the site. What are you, what are you doing with your life? Get on there. Hearing the point where I stopped sleeping. So, like, if I start saying some really strange things on Twitter, you'll know that I'm not okay. Nah, if you're saying strange things on Twitter, it's about par for the course. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's a Tuesday. Um, all right, that'll do it for us here today. Um, go like, go subscribe, go do everything that you need to do for this podcast. That'll do it. Um, I, I'm guessing we're going to post this tomorrow, and then we'll have a guest on Friday. So, lucky you, back-to-back episode. So that'll do it and take care.